Welcome to A Brit in LA with star of stage and screen, Lauren Samuels. Each week, she'll be navigating different areas of the US entertainment industry after swapping London for La La Land. She'll be meeting inspiring figures who are achieving their own Hollywood dreams. Hello, today's guest is producer Chris Lithgow, who, as well as being a creative force behind TV shows such as So You Think You Can Dance and stage hits like Footloose and The Wedding Singer, has spent the last few years bringing the traditional British pantomime to American theatre audiences. Oh, no, he hasn't. Oh, yes, he has. Chris, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. I couldn't start an episode about panto and not open with a panto gag. Yeah, it's been done a few times. Yeah, yeah. but I just realised, like, I suppose if you don't know what panto is, maybe you wouldn't get that that's a panto gag. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that we always have to explain when bringing it over. You're right. Um, You know, another joke I always get is that my license plate here is Panto, which obviously (laughs) I get friends texting me saying, I'm behind you, which is another Panto (laughs) joke that they don't get. I know, know. as British people, we were just saying before we went on air, I I don't even know how I would define Panto because I feel like I've grown up just knowing what Panto is. But how do you explain it to someone who doesn't? Very, it's, it's very tough. And, you know, it comes down to the fact that over the years that we've been doing it, we let the product tell the audience what it is. You know, we, we make sure that they know it's interactive. But in a nutshell, what a panto is, it's musical theatre. It's set to what Americans and really the world know as Disney stories, which are obviously six, seven hundred years old. I always like to make the joke that Disney built a whole empire on IP that he never owned, which is unbelievable. You couldn't do that today. Right. But, you know, there's Cinderella, Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, and they're all interactive with the audience. So the audience gets to boo the Wicked Witch and, and cheer for Cinderella. Yeah, great. And I, I love a panto myself. Every single year growing up, my parents took us to the pantomime. I absolutely loved it. And it's such an achievement to finally bring something so incredibly British as panto to America. So what inspired the idea to do so? Well, really, it was, it was you know, I moved over here uh, TV for television. And when I had my children, I wanted to take them to mm. the theatre. And there was nothing because, as you know, and, and the world will know eventually, is that the first thing, the first show that a British child goes to see in a theatre is a panto. Yeah. And that's that's what it is. We grew up with it. And it kind of breaks down those barriers for kids to go and see Les Mis and Phantom and everything when they're in their teens. Mm-hmm. That isn't here in America. So they have no uh, shows, really. They have children's theatre, but it's very kind of puppetry and played down children's theatre. But they don't have something that the family can enjoy together, the generational thing, the grandparents, the parents and the Mm -hmm. kids. So when I had my kids, it's exactly what I wanted to show them. I wanted to share with them an experience of being in a live theatre audience whereby they can enjoy it as much as I could. Yeah, exactly. And and talking about that fact, when you write the show, of course, you have to get the balance of jokes and songs right so that, as you say, both adults and kids can enjoy it. I don't think I knew when I was younger watching Pantos that there were any jokes for adults. They just go completely over your head as a child, don't they? So what what is your formula for writing a show and how do you get the balance right so that both can enjoy it? Yeah, thanks. It's, it's pretty tough because, again, the American sensibilities are very different to the British sensibilities. And that that goes back through history, which I won't bore you with. (laughs) But the sexual innuendo jokes that we love and really kind of come from us from years, but also those carry-on movies um, that we all grew up with, they they don't really fly too well here. Okay. Um, Yeah, we we, we used to get a lot of complaints about those. Really? Yeah, so we kind of go more 
just um, dad jokes in that kind of realm as opposed to those sexual innuendos. So Julian Clary, for example, that is a British comedian that built his whole career on sexual innuendos would not have a career in America today. That is so interesting. Why, Why do you think that is? I mean, I think it's the Puritan roots if you want me to get really into it. Yeah. But, you know, for example, television wise, you know, um, you can show in America, you can literally show someone on the news blowing their heads off, Crazy. but you can't show a nipple. So <laughs> there's like there's there's <laughs> some some things that the Brits don't kind of understand. You know, what right. we grew up with isn't the same here. Yeah. Um, which is what's wrong with a casual nipple, Chris? I don't <laughs> well, know. I agree. I agree. <laughs> Men's nipples are okay. <laughs> well, of course, of course. Men, women's nipples, you can't show. Maybe today you can, you know. Maybe, maybe. So um, you have brought um, the British Panto over to LA, but you've also brought it over to different parts of America as well. So what other parts of America have you brought it to? Yeah, we've done Panto now um, in Houston, wow. Raleigh, North Carolina, Nashville, Salt Lake City, San Diego, Laguna Playhouse, oh uh, Los Angeles, and I'm sure I'm missing one. Did I say Houston? You did, Houston yeah, well. yeah, yeah. And, and are they received the same in yeah, every it, state? Or Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, so everyone wants to try and put a formula on it and say, oh, because they're so political here. They want to say, oh, it's, if it's a red state, it's going to work. And if right. it's a blue state, it's not going to work. And it actually works across the board. Um, it's not always loved by the artistic directors of the theatre, okay. uh, which I don't think any panto really is. Yeah, you're so right. You're so right. Um, People do turn, turn their nose up a bit at it yeah, sometimes, right? Yeah. Uh, so sometimes we come across the artistic director uh, who doesn't like it. But, you know, the main and, and the most important thing for us is, you know, our whole mission, as I said with my kids, was to introduce kids to theatre. Yeah. So they love it. And the parents love it and the families love it. And that's, to be honest, is, is the, all that matters. And obviously that we, we make a profit from their ticket sales. Oh, yeah, you've got to make a bit of money. Kind of, kind of important too to keep going. Of course. But it, you're right. It's so true. Like, I remember all of the pantos that I went to. I specifically remember growing up going to a pantomime that had a scratch and sniff element. I don't know whether... So under our chairs... So it wasn't with Julian Clary, was it? I, I, I saw, it probably was. <laughs> I bet it was. And you got this like card out from under your chair at a different point and the, the panto dame would say, oh, you know, it smelled a bit like this and you'd scratch off number three and then you could all smell like the different parts of the show. Yeah. And like you say, they're all so interactive and that's right. what kids love about it. it, it catches, you're exactly right. It captures their imagination because exactly, at the yeah. end of the day, you know, as a child, yeah, you can sit down and watch a, a show or a TV or a Disney movie or anything like that. But the fact that you get to, and you, you have this anyway, because Disney released Frozen sing-along versions, right? To be able to have the kids sing along mm-hmm. to those songs. Uh, and that's the other important part, actually, I missed about Panto, is that we, specifically here, we use pop songs. Mm-hmm. So the kids know the songs. So yeah. they're singing along to Katy Perry and Bruno Mars. Yeah. So that kind of interactivity really captures them and, and keeps their focus. Yeah. And casting, of course, is incredibly important for these shows. And over here, you were able to attract the likes of Ariana Grande and Neil Patrick Harris to yeah. your shows. How did you well, my pull favorite, that off? I mean, Ariana's always my favorite, truly. Um, oh, but my amazing. second, my close second favorite is Kermit because, <laughs> you know, to, for me, I, I, I literally said, OK, I'm done doing pantos. Now I've worked with Kermit. Yeah, I don't I can't. Who do I who do I get? Where do you go from there? No, seriously. Nowhere. I mean, Miss Piggy might have an argument to have, but. <laughs> I haven't worked with her yet. But well, what do you uh, think attracted those people to the panto? I, I think, again, in our mission, which is to bring kids into the theatre, there is nothing here. There literally is nothing here in America, which is the most amazing country in the world, but it does not introduce kids to theatre. Mm. Theatre school trips start at 16 years old, mm. you know, in high really? school. You know, maybe 14 if, if you go to a good high school. 
we all know that you know my five-year-old's on an ipad yeah you know so the, the theater is not even in the, their dictionary mm. so to try and capture those those kids to try and get them in to see a live show mm-hmm. and really appreciate that art form is 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 our mission yeah so also you know apart from mariana grana who's obviously probably the the, the most famous but you know, we've had so many Tony Award winners. Mm. Ben Vereen. I mean, yeah. Ben Vereen came out and played our genie, wow. who is obviously a legend on Broadway. Mm. It's funny, and I know we'll probably get to it later, but Broadway and Panto, I don't know yet. I don't know if there's a fine mix there, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Well, Panto in general, it's sort of so standalone. We, we spoke about a bit about how people can turn their nose up slightly at it, can't they? But I don't, I don't know. Maybe here in America, they, they won't, you know? I don't know. You know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I, I, I do think that... Um, that Broadway, it's tough on that on that stage to have such a short run. I know yeah. people, I know producers who are thinking about bringing Panto over. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael Harrison, who works at Crossroads, who's the biggest Panto producer in the UK, is thinking about bringing a Panto over to New York. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah, it's going to be. I, I I would have done it if I thought it was going to be a sure thing. Mm-hmm. Trust me. Yeah. And course. I'm not kind of sure because mm-hmm. you know when you when you mix with those Broadway, you know. Shoshana Bean, who's amazing, who's on Mr. Saturday Night at the moment, you know, and you and that she's been in our pantos mm. and she loves being in our pantos. But there is a difference between a Broadway show and a panto. Yeah, of course. And I, I need to ask you about panto camp. Yes. So camps in general are so wild to me because they, they just feel so American. Like, I don't, sure. I don't know whether I'm... I'm wrong in saying this, but I don't think there are like camps in the UK. There certainly wasn't when I was growing up. So you've expanded the brand in an educational direction yes. by organising these panto camps. So what what do they involve? Well, I mean, thankfully, a lot of our great actors that are in our pantos come and actually teach these young kids. It's amazing. They give up their time to come wow. and do it. And we've had so many Nickelodeon stars that come down and really kind of inspire these kids to be and in, in theatre. Mm-hmm. And with the Panto Camp, thanks. Yeah, the Panto Camp kind of, I mean, why they don't do it in the UK, I've got I know. no I'm idea. Like, I want to go. Yeah, because the Panto Camp basically pays for my sets and costumes for the Christmas show. <laughs> Great. I mean, it really is. So um, do they go and learn a Panto? Or what's yeah, they have like? a week. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I write them like I write the Panto. And uh, they basically have a week starting Monday, they audition. They come in, they audition. They get taught all about panto but a lot of the kids have already seen a panto mm-hmm. obviously because we're interested all, in the camp yeah well, we're yeah. all over yeah and so they come in they uh, audition for one of our alumni for mm-hmm. one of a better word um and then they get given a part and then from tuesday they are learning their part they are learning the show and on saturday they perform a panto oh wow how um, great for them yeah I, I think with most musical theater camps and things like that the biggest thing that i get and see is the kids that are shy on the mm. Tuesday, belting like topsies on the Saturday or whatever, you know, that really come out of their shell yeah. and really benefit from, you know, being around like-minded people that want to perform. Incredible. Yeah. And you spoke about your alumni just briefly there. It's called the Lithgow Family Panto. So yes. tell us how your family are involved in this Thank as well. Thank you. Um, so my wife and I, Becky, she's the boss, obviously. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> it goes without saying. Um, <laughs> And my mum, so my mum's a director. My mum's directed a lot of shows back in the, in the West End. She did things like The Four Monty and that went years ago. She was head of a stage school back there as well. I don't know if you've come across the Italia Conti yeah, stage school. Yeah, of course I have. Yeah, a, famous so she, in the so, UK. Yeah, so she was, she was there. So I grew up around that whole environment. And so she directs our shows for us. Ah. 
Becky casts and produces them. So okay. Becky is the, the lady that got us Ariana Grande and Neil Patrick wow. Harris and <laughs> Ben Vereen and Lucy Lawless. Yeah. yeah, so she she casts them. Um, and then I write and produce them. So it really is a family business. And then now and then we, we wrote my father, Nigel. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wrote him into doing something, maybe a cameo now Nasty and then. Nasty Nigel. We've got to talk about your Nasty dad. So Nigel. your father is Nigel Lithgow, uh, one yep. of the all-time uh, TV greats, I would say, a, a long-time producer of American Idol, probably best known to British audiences as Nasty Nigel from yep. Pop Stars. So I imagine you couldn't have had a better teacher in the business like you must have learned so much from him or or did you feel any pressure or maybe to follow in the footsteps yeah I mean I think there always is pressure I think there's definitely pros and cons <laughs> uh, most people who aren't around me would go oh it's totally pros and you know you, that's how you you know got to where you got and stuff like that there's obviously some negatives to that with the pressure, I don't think I could ever be as successful as he was. You know, that, you know, he, I was going to say that guy, my father, <laughs> that guy, <laughs> that guy Nasty nice. you know, was the son of a docker from Liverpool. You know, he, he they had no money. They, he would, he's the Billy Elliot story. I don't know if you know that, but he, oh. he basically took money from his dad to go boxing, but he liked where all the girls were going. Stop. So me. he went to ballet class instead. Oh my God, I love that. And then he started roping in his schoolmates and his, one of his schoolmates was a guy called Kenny Warwick who they were like 11 years old together and they both started going to ballet instead. Of, and they pretended they went boxing oh, bless to their dads, her. but they went ballet class instead. And then Kenny and, and Nigel, so they're both still partners and he was the other exec producer on American Idol. Oh my God, I love that story. Yeah. That is so great. So what, one of your co- collaborations with your dad is So You Think You Can Dance, yep. which is now incredibly in its 17th season keeps going wow what why do you think that format has worked so well why has it been such a big hit i think i mean he created it i i helped produce it he created it and i think you know his his um his old ethos is about dancers you know mm. when i when i go into a room and i start doing pantos the first thing i say is both my parents were dancers and and i see the dancers faces light up because they don't hear that yeah you know they're like wow your parents were dancing both my parents were dancers and gypsies whatever you know that kind yeah. of mentality um, and I think because he has that in his soul and, and, and being a dancer, I think what he did with So You Think You Can Dance was he made it about the best, like he did with American Idol, mm-hmm. about being the best. Mm-hmm. And there's other dance shows out there that, you know, Dancing with the Stars, which is great, but that's about celebrity being coupled up with, you know, or Strictly Come Dancing, celebrity being coupled up with, you know, a, a pro dancer. This is actually seeing athletes performing on a stage and given a platform to perform. And not only from an athletic point of view, but you also get the best choreographers in the world Mm -hmm. being any nationality, not just Americans that come in, but the best choreographers in the world being able to be given a voice and they make statements with their voices with songs and choreography, whether it be, um, you know, I remember me and Michael's doing an amazing routine about uh, a lady suffering with cancer, you know, and there's loads of other Travis Wall's done a number of fabulous routines but it gives it's a it's more of a platform so you think you danced for the best to be the best mm. and i think that's really why it works well you're right because there are so many tv shows that are based about singing right and you know the, the dancers out there must be like what about us yeah you know exactly and you know there's others i mean i remember seeing another dance show i think it's called shake your ass or whatever which is a weight loss <laughs> wow. weight loss dance show you know <laughs> which is which is great you know there's Fabulous, but this is so you think why with the question why has it lasted? You can dance, do you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, with with why it's lasted so long is because it is just it's kneeling out the best. Yeah, 
And on the British stage, let's talk a little bit about that. You've co-produced adaptations of Hollywood movies like Footloose and yep. The Wedding Singer, which, by the way, was one of my favourite movies growing up, The Wedding Singer. I loved that and I saw it on stage a few times. Um, yeah. How do you personally reflect on those experiences? I mean, I love London. You know, I'm born and bred in London. So anytime I can go back to London, I'm, I'm there in a heartbeat. So that was fabulous to be able to go back there and see that. I was less hands-on with those productions than I am typically with, with the productions that I do. But the experience of, of, again, seeing, you know, British talent for me and, and being so good, you know, we've been in America now for a long time. And without question, the American talent, because of sheer numbers, are, I would say, a little higher than the, than the Brits. Mm -hmm. However, when you find those one or two Brits that are amazing, yeah. it's so refreshing. And that's what I found with Wedding Singer. There was a couple of um, performers in that Wedding Singer where just, they just blew me away. I'm so glad that you, you spoke a little bit about the American and British talent because that was going to be a question. Do you think there is a big difference? I do, I do, until you get to the fine, like the diamonds in the rough, right? Yeah. So I do think there's a difference because I think in the US, we have uh, here an amazing um, church scene mm -hmm. in the way that the kids grow up going to church. Yeah. And that is somewhere where they start, you know, Jennifer Hudson starts to sing at three or four years old church gospel songs, you know? And also there's there's obviously you know, five or six times more Americans than there are, you <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, Brits. Yeah. We're a so, lot smaller, yeah. yeah. So I think I think from that point of view, I think the talent pool is obviously bigger and and as as an average, if you average it out better. Mm -hmm. But again, there are so many talented British West End stars and pop stars. Um, I mean Jesse J. Yeah. I mean you oh can't. Oh my god, I love Jesse. You J. can't beat a voice. The vocals on that, you know, you would compare that to a Shoshana Bean, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, you would absolutely. Um, so and Cynthia Erivo obviously mm -hmm. is up there yeah. too. But I think overall, American talent is better because there's more. Yeah. But the the Brits. We'll just I mean, leave it there. Look, there's yeah, more of them, exactly. all right? No one writes a song like Lennon and McCartney, yeah, do they? Well, Let's be thank honest. You, thank you. Um, now, I I personally have obviously had a lot of stage experience myself in Britain, um, including. I know you're going to find this really hard to believe, Chris, but I actually played an ugly sister in Cinderella. I don't Hanson. believe it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, my. Did you was, really? Yeah, I did. Wow. I played an ugly, right before the pandemic um, at the Lyric Hammersmith. Um, it was just when uh, it was the last thing I did before everything shut down. And I was an ugly sister in Cinderella. And it was actually my first panto experience as well. I'd never done panto prior to that. Wow. So the panto schedule, man. Yeah. Ooh, that yeah, is I'm not loved for that either, to be honest. No, um, I know. I don't, if people don't know, um, a normal sort of musical, I suppose, West End or Broadway would do eight shows a week, whereas a panto tends to be more like 12. Yeah, so, yeah, and three a, three a day. Yes, sometimes when it's 11 o'clock in the morning and you're belting out a Celine Dion yeah. uh, on stage, you, you do hate yourself. Um, but what advice, I suppose, would you have for me as I set my career on a new path here in Hollywood? Get a good agent. Yeah, okay. um, <laughs> I think that's the first one. You know, it really is, we get submissions from a theatre point of view. We get submissions all the time from everywhere, and I very rarely do I look over um, resumes, CVs without an agent. Okay. So I think that's very, very important is to get an agent. Uh, obviously, you've got your papers in place, your visas and yes, stuff like yes, that. Yeah. Good. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think really, you know, I'm a big proponent of never turning down an audition or a job. You know, I'm doing a job at the moment, for example, that is 
working for a city council down in Orange County, which is very bizarre to me. Okay. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm meeting people. And I think that's what you can do in this town. I think you've got to give it time. I think you've got to meet as many people as you can. So therefore take as many auditions as you can. And I think just have patience. You know, it's a, I always say to, to friends like yourself who, who come in uh, and, and want to start a career here is that this is the playground for the whole of America. Mm -hmm. And, you know, agents and producers are so used to the starlet from Ohio coming into town mm -hmm. and lasting three months and then going back to Ohio. It's I kind of like a traveler's, that, yeah. it's like a, you know, a lot, not a lot of people stay here. They, they try and crack it. doesn't work. They leave. Yeah. So there's that hard. kind of revolving door. So you've got, got to, you've got to be in it for the long haul. It's interesting what you said about taking every job or every audition. I don't know whether I'd thought about it like that because sometimes, particularly in the UK, I would go, oh, no, I don't really think I want to do that. Or, you know, that might, might not be the right step for me. Would you argue um, here now just to go for everything and... I think so within reason, you know, I think it's got to be still in your wheelhouse. I think <laughs> that, you know, I, during the pandemic, I had a good producer friend of mine in Australia, for example, that does a lot of fashion shows. And because Australia was shut down, they couldn't do a shoot. He phoned me up and said, will you do this shoot for me? I would never normally do a fashion shoot, but I met a great director there mm -hmm. that I'm now bringing on the, to, to TV and, and doing some stuff with him. There's a lot of work here. This is where the work is. This is the mecca for the business without mm -hmm. question. And I think that really, yeah, pick and choose what type of job you want to do, but don't turn any job down that's in your wheelhouse, if that makes sense. Even if it's like, you know, there's a bourbon rooms here or something in Hollywood, you know, if you want to go and sing for free at the bourbon rooms, go and do it yeah. because you just never know who's in the audience. I think it's the worry of being pigeonholed into mm -hmm. something, which is, I don't know whether it's a bigger thing over here, but certainly in the UK, I certainly found that I was quite pigeonholed into musical theatre or right. having done a reality TV show, then it's very difficult to me, for me to branch out and do straight acting or straight theatre or, you know, TV and things like that. I think it's worse here. Do I have you? To tell, yeah, oh, I think God. they pigeon. I think I think oh, they no. pigeonhole you more here, and not just as an actor, uh, singer, but actually in production as well. So, for example, as I'm known as the reality producer, mm -hmm. it's very tough for me to go into scripted producing. Right. I mean, they wouldn't even. I, I just actually just did a scripted show for NBC, but it was still a hybrid scripted show because it had a little bit of reality in it. But I was still literally steamed as the reality producer sat on a different lunch table kind of thing. Oh, that's the reality producer <laughs> oh, no. over there. <laughs> oh, no. So, yeah, I've so they do, had that. They, yeah, they def definitely do pigeonhole you more here. Okay. That scares me. Yeah. I'm not going to lie because I, I feel like I worked very hard in the UK to try and make people forget in some way that I'd done a reality TV show. Not that I regretted right. doing it at all. I really loved doing Over the Rainbow when I did it and it, it opened many doors for me. But then it was hard to, you know, make people forget almost that I had done that and that I was an actress and I could act. And, sure. you know, so it, and a good actress, by the way, I've seen you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I did. Not I just auditioned. an actress. You're a good actress. I had my very first L.A. audition and Chris was in the room and I walked in and made a mistake instantly because I didn't know here that you are supposed to bring a hard copy of your uh, CV or resume and headshot so I was asked instantly by the director for my headshot and was like oh oh, oh god sorry I, d I don't have one then proceeded to be like a waffling Mary Poppins about it terribly sorry it's my first audition here um but I don't think that's very uh ethical really to keep bringing in you know it's not very environmentally friendly 
I, I agree. I can't disagree with that. No. Uh, so part of my journey with this podcast is exploring the main differences between the British and American entertainment industries. Yep. So what what have you found those big differences are and how have you navigated them? I think the Brits are very similar in business ethics to um, and morals to New York. I think New York and L.A. are very different. I think you find a lot of times in the UK, business-wise, you'll get a no. No one's scared about giving you a no. <laughs> and I think in LA, everyone's scared about being that guy that gave you the no, really? and then you become a huge star. Ah, that's so so it's very, very tough to, like, to get the no's and passes and things like that here. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's, that's the first thought that comes to my head. Mm -hmm. um, th but... You know, and I don't always, I'm, I am about the art. So when I say this next thing, forgive me, uh, but the money is ridiculous here right. compared to the UK. I mean, obviously it's because it's a much, as we said, it's six times bigger this country, you know. So the money is huge here. People um, in the West End do to, talk about that a lot, I must oh, say. I mean, it's, I mean, I think that what West End people get per week is probably like the gas stipend here. Yeah, Not even, no, you know honestly, I mean? yeah. It is. It's terrible. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, it's 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 uh, that and, and television. But, you know, you've got to work at it. Um, the, the, the flip side is, is that there's a lot more people here mm -hmm. doing that. You know, there's a lot more competition. That's, yeah. Like I said, all the jobs are here. So that's where the competition's going to be. Mm -hmm. But I think that if you stick it out, you know, and you really have to stick it out and have those lows and you'll have lows and you'll have the odd high. But if you stick it out, I think that your success here would be greater than it would be in the in the UK. And I think that from a from a UK point of view, once you're successful, like, you know, I remember being back in the UK and thinking these EastEnders guys were massive stars. <laughs> you know, I know I'm crazy, but, you know, I'm like, wow, Beppe, yeah. you know, and all these guys are so Beppe, God, huge, from the huge stars. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, nothing. You know, yeah. it's it's then they're, they're just, they're not. So you really want to, if you're here, you should, you should focus on here and, and not back in the UK because once you've cracked UK, you want to come here anyway. Yeah, that's the hard thing as well, I think, for me is, is sort of going, right, I really do have to land both feet here and put everything into here yeah. and not sort of keep going, but what's going on in the UK and what's auditioning over there and what could I be being seen for over there that I'm not now that I'm here, you know? The best piece of advice for you, I promise you, is stick it out here and when you need, every artist like yourself needs to, like, you know, not exercise their demons, but you know what I mean? They need that moment of performing. Find somewhere here, even if it's unpaid, find somewhere here where you can experiment. You could, you know, try new songs, do this, do that, and let out, you know, your artistry that way as opposed to going back to England for a job. Yeah. Don't do it. Stay yeah. here. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, it's scary, though, isn't it? It's, it's scary. It, 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 tru <laughs> it truly is. And it will take you a long time. Yeah. Honestly, you're going to be, you know, sitting here, you know, hopefully we'll see each other over the times and, you know, you'll be sitting there going four years time going, Chris, what's going on? Yeah. And it's like, you've just got to, honestly, you've got to, you've really got to stick it out. Great advice. And, and I... also it doesn't matter what your success was back in England. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you could have been the biggest star in England and you'll still be on the same playing field as someone that's just come over from England. Mm hmm. Blech. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Scary thought, isn't it? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up with with one uh, final question for you. I've taken up enough of your time, but um, with everything that we've chatted about and all that you've achieved already, what further ambitions remain for you? Other than coming on this podcast, of course, which we've not achieved. But what what further ambitions do you have? I mean, I would love to see a panto on Broadway. I yes. do think it would be. I wouldn't like to put my money into it, but. <laughs> <laughs> 
if but you want to go and watch one. I would like to see that. You know, I, I, there's two things. I think from a giving point of view, and I go to that one first, um, I, I would like to see more programs for kids being bussed into, into school, into mm-hmm. theatres from school, you know, and really get those kids bums on seats to see theatre because mm-hmm. that, there's not enough of that. The arts, obviously, as we all know, is the first thing that's taken away from the kids. And there's yeah. so many kids out there that are, that, that are into the arts. It's mm-hmm. crazy. So I would like to see a proper, um, you know, even a government, system thing where kids can actually see theater for free wouldn't that be great uh, it'd be amazing for me mm-hmm. and then from personal ambitions i mean you know i have a a steady job and a great job i'm very thankful for at warner brothers where i work in the um in television mm-hmm. and i would like to put more musical theater on television it's the toughest man it's the toughest sell in the world or oh, just just music things you know it's the toughest sell in the world mm-hmm. in television everybody loves theater in television but then they don't really want to understand it or they don't want to be involved in it. So yeah. it's really tough. But, yeah, I mean, I think, I think having a good musical show on, uh, on television would be great. We need somebody brave enough to do it. If television's still around, by the way, in five years. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. Well, Chris Lithgow, thank you so much for being my guest on A Brit in LA. Thank you. Before recording this show, I had a little catch up with my best friend back home, singer and actor Noel Sullivan, who first came to prominence on Nigel Lithgow's series Pop Stars, which is where Hearsay, um, the band that he was in, was created. Here's a little bit of our chat about pantos, elasticated pants, and becoming LA-fied. Noel, I yes. feel like you've you've met some of the Lithgows. Oh yeah, maybe once or twice. <laughs> Nigel Lithgow was nasty Nigel when I, I like for your listeners who don't know me, I'm not surprised. Um, <laughs> Nor am basically, I. <laughs> basically, uh, I was a pop star 20 <clears throat> years ago in, in the first ever version of what is now like American Idol or X Factor. I did a show called Pop right. Stars. And I it was like, born. no, no, no. Yes, you were. <laughs> you were, you were like three. <laughs> um, yeah, and basically, they came up with this concept. It was a fly on the wall documentary on how to make a pop band. And Chris Lithgow's dad, Nigel, was a judge on it, on like the original ever series. And that's I feel before... like he was called Nasty Nigel after that, or was he called Nasty? No, from that. He was Nasty Nigel on that. Yeah. Um, was he nasty? Well, no, but at the time he was the executive producer. He was like the head of light entertainment for like one of our biggest TV channels in the UK. And so he was quite, you know, he was quite um, an ambitious man, as I recall. But then he went to America. Basically, they, in, they like, he came up with another couple of concepts and they did So You Think You Can Dance? Oh, yeah. And he was, he's a judge. Is he still a judge on that? Oh, yeah, no. I think he is. It's in, like, it's, like, 17th season. Right, okay, well, yeah, I, I remember when I was in L.A., so this was, like, 2007, I bumped into him out on a night out. Sure. And... I swear to you, I had no idea it was the same man. He was proper LA-ified, if that's a thing. He had like the whitest, straightest teeth you've ever seen on a man. And now back back in the UK, he had teeth like Jafar. And then suddenly he was just like, suddenly he had like these like beautiful, pearly whites. Yeah, tanned face. His hair had gone bleach blonde. Like, yeah, you know, he didn't, yeah. I'm like, oh my God. Wow, that's a blast from the past. Hello, nasty Nige. Yeah, he was like, what are you doing here? 
You're like, he was just shocked. My Hollywood dream. Yeah, yeah, he was just shocked. Um, but Chris is lovely. Chris, Chris has done really well uh, since Chris he's gone out is to. So, so lovely. Yes. I met, yeah. I met one of the other Lithgows as well. The, the mother. Bonnie. Yes, Bonnie. Fa yeah. Famous in the famous in the musical theatre world in the UK. You know. Yes, yes. He trained so a lot of kids. They're quite the family. Um, you know that they've got a a panto camp. What? Here in what, like, like so, panto isn't camp enough? You have to have a camp. Like, that's mental. Camp up panto. I think camps in general are like, I don't, like, in England, we don't really have camps, right? But no. yeah, there's a panto camp, which, come, by the way, I now want to go to. Come on, so come on. I'm de we're definitely going to panto camp. Right, I quite agree. I'll, I'll and get on the Ring Chris now and just tell him we're not paying either. Yeah, we're not paying. We're just we're turning not paying. up. We'll go and do some, like, workshops there. Have you ever yeah. done panto? Oh God, I have, I have. Do you know what? I vowed never again. Come on, come on. Where <laughs> did you did do it. panto? I did panto at the Hammersmith, uh, Hammersmith, just before the pandemic, oh, actually. I saw it, the Hammersmith lyric. Yeah, I played, um, you're not going to believe this, Noel, but I played um, an ugly sister in Cinderella. I know, please, please take the shock off your face. My no, silence says everything, doesn't it? Oh my God, <laughs> what? why do you always get typecast? I know, I know, isn't it awful? Isn't it awful? <laughs> but yeah, the schedule of Panto is the what killed me. It was yeah. like 550 shows a week. Yeah. You know, 14 shows a day, 9 a.m., 11 a.m., 2 p.m. Hey, listen, people who get up early in the morning also need entertaining. I know. At I Christmas, know. don't begrudge them that. Have you done Panto? <laughs> I've done Panto twice in my know? life. Yes, I have. I've I feel done like it twice. I might have seen you in Panto. <laughs> I did the most depressing panto of my life. I played Aladdin in a place called Crawley in the UK. Listen to that name, Crawley. They call it Creepy Crawley. Awful. Oh, you know, it's a know, small town just outside of Gatwick. And you know, Gatwick is... Oh. memory, though, is of you in panto. Flying on the magic carpet? Well, no. Is you splitting your trousers <laughs> in the crotch area during a show and then having to put a massive piece of, like stretchy material in between your crotch <laughs> which made it look like i wasn't maybe a man anymore the way it folded in on itself wasn't the the nicest thing you've ever seen and um, i just remember you sending me just videos of this stretchy crotch of yours <laughs> well lauren i think that's a great place for us to wrap it up for this week hey yeah <laughs> all right. stretchy aladdin crotch all right love you yeah love you You've been listening to A Brit in LA with me, Lauren Samuels. Thanks to my guest, Chris Lithgow. Thanks to my mate, Noel Sullivan. And most of all, thanks to you for listening. Please share a link with your friends. Check out our show's website at abritinla.fm. And wherever you are in the world, go for your dreams. That's half for now. Well, wasn't that amazing? It was created and produced by podcast partners. They're really lovely people and rather good at all this podcasting guff. Find out more at podcastpartners.com. Listener.